Welcome to Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed, your journey into discovering the amazing people and wonderful happenings in and around the Cothet region. Since her days as Powell River's first youth ambassador in 1994, Erin has continuously been involved in our community. Her love of the Cothet region and her understanding of the importance of connecting to the people living around you inspired this podcast. Coastal Currents is a no-holds-barred look at what's happening in our neighborhoods. But more importantly, it's about the people who live, work, and play here. Insightful interviews, frank conversations, and often hilarious discussions of issues, ideas, and people that matter to you. This is Coastal Currents. Here's Aaron. On this episode, I sit down with the Chief Administrative Officer for the City of Powell River, Mr. Russell Brewer. We talk about his Manitoban roots, some of his passions, and what his day job with the city entails. Mr. Brewer, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for coming. I know you're a busy guy. Oh, got nothing going on right now. Yeah, I know. Nothing. You said you were okay with starting with a quick this or that yeah, you game, bet. right? Okay, so Let's it's, do it. it's random. So okay. I haven't pre-selected things right. to torture you with. It's just going to do it by itself. Awesome. All right. Clutter in the closet or clutter under the bed? In the closet. Sleeping with the bedroom door closed or open? Open. Show or tell? Hotel for sure. <laughs> Recess or lunch? Lunch. Hot coffee or iced coffee? Hot. Definitely. Pen or pencil? Pen. Computer. <laughs> <laughs> Looks or personality? Personality. Start work late or leave work early? When's the last neither, time you've done either neither. one of those things? Arrive early, leave late. <laughs> Is that possible? Start late, leave early? Wouldn't that be nice? Man. You're right. Passwords or secret handshakes? Passwords. I can't I can't keep the handshakes. Yeah, I can never straight. remember them. I keep all my passwords on a piece of paper in my wallet in case anyone's listening and <laughs> no, you're gonna wants get to mugged. find them all. Yeah. <laughs> False hope or unnecessary anxiety? Unnecessary anxiety. That one's yeah, that's kind of deep. Challenging eh? one, yeah. Science or history? Oh, how about both? No, let's go with science. Batman or Superman? Superman. The age-old question. Yeah, I'd like to fly. <laughs> Red wine or white wine? Red. No company or bad company? Bad company. Hang out with little kids or old folks? <laughs> <laughs> oh, little kids, for sure. <laughs> oh, that's a funny one. <laughs> that's a good one. Question. See, I'll be thinking about some of those for the rest of the evening now. <laughs> Maybe I should have said iced coffee. I don't know. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about you sure i didn't know you're from the prairies yeah yeah i'm a saint boniface manitoba boy so how was it growing up there oh it was great i miss manitoba i miss the uh cold sunny winter days yeah don't miss them too much though living on the west coast is awesome but yeah those those sunny cold winter days what i miss is i would hop on my skis and go cross-country skiing on the red river or cinnaboyne river really yeah yeah and uh, yeah, St. Boniface, which is, so I was born in St. Boniface, okay. which is now part of Winnipeg. I think three or four years after I was born, it became just part of Winnipeg. Oh, I didn't yeah. know you were a, a fellow a pegger like Bobby. <laughs> right. Yes. Bobby and I have had this discussion. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So Bobby, if you're listening, yeah, it's been a while since I called in and we chatted Flatlander stuff about <laughs> Winnipeg. I call her Winterpeg. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's fun. Winnipeg's quite a cultural city, actually. And when I first moved here, I ran into quite a few folks from Manitoba. Really? Yeah. It's interesting. Surprisingly. Yeah, I grew up with lots of Francophones and Ukrainians in Man in Winnipeg. So you moved to Powell River in, I was doing some Googling, 1990? You moved to BC in 89. BC. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then I was in Squamish, mostly, until 98, and then moved here... From Squamish. So yeah, I'm one of the first Squamish migrants, I like to say. <laughs> the Squamish migrants. Yeah. There's quite a few. There, there are now, yeah, lots. So what made you move to BC? You know, I always, I came out a couple of years before that just to cycle around BC and decided yeah, I'd always want to be back out here. Came out, cycled Vancouver Island, around Lower Mainland a little bit and decided, yeah, I'd like to come back. And then I came out to do some tree planting. Up north, spent, I don't know, maybe a month tree planting and realized um, <laughs> it wasn't working out. 
It's hard work, right? It is hard work. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for tree planters. That is tough work. So did that, came down, dad was here at that time and ended up in Powell River. That's partly why I ended up here as well. Dad was here. Okay. Uh, when I was tree planting, there'd be these folks that would come out and check on us once in a while, sort of walk about, see what we were doing, tell us we were doing it wrong or how to do it better. <laughs> I thought, I'd like to be that guy. <laughs> Hop back in the truck and head off somewhere. So it was a forester, I found out later. Oh, okay. And uh, when I got to Powell River, I ended up meeting some forester folks here, and they convinced me to go to school in forestry school. So I ended up going to UBC in forestry. So I had just wrapped up a science degree in Man University of Manitoba at the time. I was kind of in between trying to figure out what else I wanted to do, grad studies or what. Right. Ended up doing forestry. Forestry. Yeah. Wow. All from tree planting. All from tree planting. Holy. And that started just walking down the hall in the science building at the University of Manitoba because I was on the uh, science council, student council. I've always been part of councils and boards of some kind <laughs> for some reason. And saw an ad on the wall saying, hey, come tree planting in BC. I thought, oh, that would be fun. And there you go. That's how <laughs> it happened. So just walking down the hall at the science faculty building in the U of M. I got a friend that does it in um, Williams Lake area. And yeah, it's, I've seen, it's beautiful. Like you see the photos of the places you get to do it. Oh, it's absolutely. It's amazing. But I and think. The friendships are great. The camaraderie is great. Uh, the places you see, you know. Up north, up mid coast. Right. But the terrain, oh my gosh. Tough. Yeah. Tough work. Especially a lot of the areas, you know, where they're tree planting, helicopter log blocks and such. Those are, that's some tough, tough ground. You mentioned you were here cycling. Yes. You don't like cycling at all. I, 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 yes, <laughs> I do. So when did that start? When did you start loving the bikes? Oh, when I was quite young. So I used to, ride a fair bit in manitoba and did a little bit of racing road bike okay a bit of touring cycling north from winnipeg and hitting the beach yeah so that started from an early age yeah. so had you done many mountains before you came to bc no no <laughs> definitely <laughs> not manitoba's a little bit flat not much in the hills. <laughs> yeah and then when i was in squamish definitely got into the mountain bike scene there so it was interesting i was just digging through some old files couple of years ago and found a whole bunch of old Sorka, which is a Squamish Off-Road Cycling Association oh, Okay. Uh, stuff. They started quite a ways back, early 90s, I guess. And I found some old newsletters, the first newsletters that were made by Sorka. And I had the original versions. I sent them off to the executive there uh, a little while back. So they got a kick out of it. The first newsletters, they, no one probably had copies of them kicking around, but I still had some old digital versions you're a data hoarder like i am uh, yeah, right? yeah yeah i was purging that's what it was i was trying to go through stuff and get rid of things and <laughs> old files on computers and oh that'd be kind of cool yeah. that brought back some memories so the i was in at the start of the cycling association in squamish and now you look at where squamish is at with cycling and uh, i think in part that's why people have found their way to powell river that reminds them of what the mountain bike scene and the cycling scene was like in Squamish. Right. That's kind of the feedback I'm getting is people, yeah. the the sprawl has moved up into Squamish, Whistler area, and they're trying to yeah, get back to where it was before. Definitely got busier there. <laughs> I say, oh, I just, I like my small town life. <laughs> oh, we're fortunate here. Yeah, it's, um, you know, we run into so many more people out in the woods now, biking or hiking or what have you, than even three, four years ago. Right. Yeah. Well, even when we're on the ferries now, Shane and I have this conversation. Like when I was young, I go, I knew everybody on the ferry. Like you just yeah. did, right? Tourists yeah. stuck out like a sore thumb because you, you, now I look on the ferry and I'm like, I don't know most of these people. And it, it you know, it's great. So some of those things that we focus, that quality of life piece we focused on for years here, that's what's brought people here. But it's a double-edged sword as, too, ob yeah. as well, right? Obviously, yeah. with, you see it in the house prices now and the challenges with housing. I mean, we're not, the only ones, obviously, but uh, it's catch-22. Yeah, it's exactly it, right? It's nice to have the people come and move here, but the housing yeah. housing supply is hurting big yeah. time. What kind of comparisons do you have to life in Manitoba growing up to life in Powell River? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, St. Boniface, growing up in a Francophone, Métis community, pretty tight community. There's a lot of similarities to Powell River in that way. You know, folks are pretty tight-knit community here as well. 
looking after each other. There's that. There's, you know, growing up in St. Boniface, the ties to the lakes and the rivers mm. in Manitoba. We've got some of that here. I think there's a parallel there with all the lakes we have and the rivers. That's some of what brings a lot of folks here as well. Right. Right? Yeah. But other than that, oh, we're on the ocean. Winnipeg's in the middle of the continent. <laughs> <laughs> Dead smack center. I would. Yeah. I don't think, I couldn't move away from the ocean now. Yeah, now that I live here. Yeah, I, get, I totally get that. Yeah. That's what I missed. I was born here and moved to Mission for a number of years and right. came back in high school. Yeah. And I mean, I was here every summer and everything, but I just thought about it and tried to put myself there, but I just can't leave the ocean. See, that's interesting. And you keep running into more folks that are moving back to Powell River that maybe grew up here, left for a little bit, and now they're coming back, right? Yeah. yeah. It's a cycle always because yeah. you grow up here. And you're so isolated and you just can't wait to get out because you want to see the world and you want to see what it's like yeah. somewhere else, right? I mean, my whole grad class was like that, but I'd been out. So I knew what it was like somewhere else and I couldn't wait to stay, but everybody else couldn't wait to get out. And now that's what happens. They settle down, they have kids and they think, I want to raise my kids in the city. I want that life I had growing up in Powell River. Well, and hopefully more can move back. I know a lot that are moving back are bringing their work with them back here, so to speak, right? Right. So they can work remotely or or they've started small businesses that can be based anywhere. So having the opportunity to live in a smaller community where the cost of living is maybe a little bit lower than it is in some of the large urban centers. Right. There's more of an opportunity now for them to do that. It'd be nice if we could get something to replace the mill so more of them could come back. More of them could stay. Yeah, but, well, that we do need more light industry, and right? Absolutely, yeah. My daughter, she's going to school on the East Coast, and she wanted to leave, getting back to the folks wanting to leave for a bit, but it's been four years now. She's going to be wrapping up school in, a, wow, another month here. Wow. And then she wants to come back, but she went to Anaganish, which is close to the water. It's on the ocean, more or less. Small community as well, similar size to Powell River. She's going to hang out in Nova Scotia for the summer and then come back, hopefully in September. What was she taking at school? Climate and environment. Okay. It's a mixed science, poli-sci type program, which is quite relevant for where we're at Yeah. these days. So she's one of those passionate youth about climate justice and social justice. And Does she have her eye on a specific kind of position she wants? When not she's necessarily. There? I think she'd she'd like to work on climate-related issues, more geared towards um, maybe ocean, riparian, water-related climate issues. So there's a fair bit of work going on, you know, local government, provinces, federal government, lots of opportunities for, for folks wanting to work on climate issues. Climate policy is a big field now. Yeah. You even see it with our local government, and it's a big consideration. So yeah. hopefully, she's not sure exactly where... Like any of us. Right, yeah. <laughs> going, coming out of school, not really knowing what we want to do. Or 20 years out sometimes, not knowing what you want to uh, do. Yeah, st yeah. I still don't know. I know. <laughs> when I grow up. You <laughs> <laughs> have been on a lot of boards. Tourism. Yes. Tourism Powell River, Tourism Sunshine Coast. Yeah, Sunshine Coast Tourism, Tourism Powell River, the local cycling association, Mountain Bike Tourism, BC. I'm curious how you ended up on the Division of Family Practice what a great organization board that is. So when BC changed the Societies Act requirements, I want to say maybe four or five years ago, they changed that up. The division wanted to change up their structure so that they had a mix of member directors and community directors. So they made a point of brainstorming what members from the community might be a good fit for their board that weren't physicians. Right. So now Lynn Adamson's on the board, Janet Newberry, Marlene is on there. I think I was the third one that they recruited, so to speak. <laughs> you know, they brainstormed among themselves for folks that they thought might be a good fit, had good board experience, maybe had a good feel for the community. And they reached out and asked if I might be interested. Had lunch one day with a couple of them and thought, yeah, be great. Been three, four years now, maybe. That's the last board I've got. So I, I <laughs> let go of a lot of boards. I was maybe overstretched for a bit there. Your uh, your day job is a little intense. Yeah, busy now with that. So I, I couldn't hang on to a lot of board positions and I wanted to really focus on the job and not spread myself too thin. Right. Yeah. seems like we're all kind of reevaluating that, especially with the pandemic, right? Starting to feel like we need to prioritize life over Yeah, more work-life balance and yeah. family's important. Yeah, you're right. When the pandemic hit, for sure, 
I refocused on, well, food security resiliency has always been a big priority of mine, but came to realize, wow, if, if things got into a pickle there for food supply, we, we'd be hooped here in Powell River. We only produce maybe two or 3% of what we need right. food-wise. So yeah, one of the first things I started doing was digging a potato. Really? <laughs> potato garden bed. <laughs> So we've got another three garden beds in the oh in the backyard for potatoes. Wow. But we ran out before Christmas, so that, yeah. I thought that was just to make vodka. Didn't last very long. <laughs> Haven't tried that. We do have bees now, so I oh. want to try making mead. Yeah. My son would love to do that. He's gone through this phase of looking at medieval recipes and all this stuff, and he's tried to make <laughs> stuff. And he makes me try it, which is so gross. <laughs> I need to try it. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. I should talk to him because uh, we've got all this honey now. Yeah. And yeah, I'd be keen to try making meat. I don't know what that. Oh, he'd be all over that. <laughs> he'd love to help you with that. So what made you decide to run for council? When was that? That was 2011? Uh, 2010, 2011. Yeah, 2011. I think at the time, probably like for anyone that runs for council, there's one or two issues that ends up motivating them to put their name forward i think at the time it was around active transportation questions and thinking we needed to do more for tourism and diversifying our economy a little bit i remember making a presentation to council about cycling infrastructure and it wasn't just all about cycling but then it got me thinking i started watching council and started following meetings and attended a couple meetings and like i mentioned earlier i've always been involved in boards and getting active right from you know junior high school being on student councils so it's been a pattern of mine, just wanting to get involved and do your part, do my part, help govern, help change things, help improve things, work with others with similar visions or who also want to improve things Right. for a community, whether that community is a high school and then it was later in university and being on student councils and Senate and university and then helping start organizations like cycling associations and Métis Association Society here as well and other societies. So yeah, it was a natural evolution to get involved in local government. What was the biggest challenge when you were a councillor? It's a good question. Biggest challenge was probably just wanting to try and fix everything, mm -hmm. be involved in everything. There's not enough time. It's not a full-time job, but it is a full-time job. So you, you know, maintaining a regular job as well as being a councillor is very hard to do unless you're fortunate to be retired or independently wealthy and you can do it on the side, so to speak. But it was hard to balance having a regular day job and do council. The other challenging part was perhaps folks not taking the time just to ask questions or engage, reach out. I often say if folks would just pick up the phone or email, sometimes they would have answers they need instead of posting things or... Right. Stirring the pot. Yeah. And usually, usually the answers are pretty straightforward and simple it's just a matter of reaching out but then there's a catch-22 there as well because the expectations are so high now for counselors and elected officials they're expected to be available 24 7 social media has failed to live up to its promise of what it could deliver for us i think so yeah for uh, sure yeah. i agree with that it's frustrating because people want so much out of their elected officials and yet they forget they're human beings. They're disrespectful. They'll be rude. Name call. They bring their families into things, you know, name calling and, and insults and things like that. And then, yeah, expecting people to be on 24-7, which just, it's it's just, that's not realistic. It's not life. Yeah, you know? there's a there's a level, there's a tone in the conversation that wouldn't be there if folks were just sitting down across from a table. Right. Right. That plays out on social media. That's just not healthy. I worry that folks will start turning off and not tuning in, not wanting to have those conversations, not wanting to present themselves for yeah. elected office. It is a tough, tough role for them to be in. And however, the beauty of being an elected official is trying to make it work with six others that maybe have different perspectives and trying to get to a place in the middle that uh, is a compromise for the community. So I think a lot of folks maybe don't realize that sometimes. Yeah. Any one counselor or trustee or director can't make decisions on their own. They need to work with the other four, or six people on their board, whatever it might be, to get to a place that kind of works best for as many people as possible, right? Yeah. And that was the fun part. I really enjoyed that. The part I didn't care for too much was that negativity that floats out there on social media. And you can expect that and as much as 
you say, oh, you try not to let it bother you, you have thick skin, but it's, that's, that's what eventually kind of pushed me away and deciding not to go for a third term. That negativity. Yeah. 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 I, I wondered why you didn't run again, but I mean, the timing was kind of neat and that you were able to go for the CAO job at the same time. So. It was, it was really funny how that worked out, but obviously I ran for school board, right? So I was struggling you did? with... Did you? <laughs> <laughs> you might remember that. <laughs> But that, that was a funny one because I did get frustrated somewhat council. And it happened when I was just hiking with the kids and realized I want to do more of this, enjoying being out on a sunny day on top of a hill somewhere with the kids. And we were just chatting about all kinds of things. And it was a lot of fun. That's when I decided at that point, nah, I'm not going to run again. But a little later, it was hard to pull away entirely from being involved. So obviously present myself for school board. And it was great working with you for the bit we were on there. <laughs> And um, you're right, the opportunity came up later for a CAO position. I threw my hat in for that. So I always used to joke when I was a counselor, one thing I used to say often was, boy, I wish I could work on these issues full-time. But of course, a counselor doesn't pay equivalent of a full-time job. It's not right. expected to be a full-time job, but it really is a full-time job yeah. or, or damn near a full-time job. And uh, Really more than, if you think really about Really more it. than because you're on all the time. Yeah. Uh, people call, people email. You can try and gate that and stick to certain hours and such, but it's not really realistic. You lay awake at night and think about stuff. Absolutely. I mean, that, that was my thing, yeah. right? I'd lay awake, I was supposed to be sleeping, and I'd be thinking... Because you you run for those offices because you care about community, right? So, of yeah. course, it's going to weigh on you all the time. And yeah. that's, that's uh, yeah, as an elected official, I doubt there's many that run for non-altruistic reasons. Everyone wants to try and improve their community, so that's why they're there. So, of course, they're thinking about it all the time. And they're going back a little bit to what you said earlier. Most most of them are there. I bet you almost all of them across the province are there for the right reasons, want to do good things. So people forget that sometimes. I think. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I know you. <laughs> I wasn't getting rich on the school board. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you know, I spent all my stipends when the kids were little on babysitters and and stuff. It cost me money yeah. to do it. It really did. Time well, off work and that's right. Yeah, yeah. Childcare. You, you were fully employed then. It's the same thing when. With my day job, I would take leave without pay to do council duties. So factor that in, you're not doing those for the money. No one no, does that no. for the money. And that's why I got frustrated. I've seen conversations about how much councillors get paid or trustees or directors. And if you look at it, it's a drop in the bucket when you look at what people have to do now. And you could say, well, then people that, like you said, are independently wealthy or retired do it. But then that's not equal representation. That's not what you want. It, yeah. It'd be nice to see young moms on the school board. Absolutely. Or younger people on council. I think Aaron Pinch was probably one of the younger ones yeah. in the last number of years. And I know it was super hard for him with his job and family Yeah. to put the time in. Yeah, there's either got the finances to be able to do it or you're uh, you know, retired or even being a public servant where maybe you've got the flexibility of your job to be able to take that time. But there's a whole segment of the population that either couldn't afford to do it or can't get the leave from their jobs variable nature of the work where oh i gotta take a couple hours here or an afternoon here or we've got this workshop we need to attend to not everyone can participate and mm -hmm. then you're right maybe single parents are just there's no way they could do it potentially so you miss out on a whole segment of the community yeah. being able to present themselves for office and then on the flip side i've heard folks argue well if paid a whole lot more and it was a full-time job then that takes away from the public service aspect of the position but that one doesn't resonate as much for me i think you'd make those elected positions available to a lot more people if if the pay was higher for them i agree i always think the easiest time to run is the first time you run everybody thinks that's the scariest is when you first right. put your name in and it's petrifying when you yeah. put your name in and i've always said to people you're having a job interview with the entire city is what you're doing. It's like sitting down right. in a chair and the entire city gets to ask you whatever they want and they judge the heck out of you the whole time. It's petrifying. Yeah, it takes a lot of courage to present yourself. It does. For sure, the first time. You're right. But you're you sit your... there and you go, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do. And then the other people that are running for the second, third, fourth time are laughing inside their heads because they're like, you're not doing anything by yourself. Because you don't get that power. I remember that. <laughs> I, I do remember that being the first term counselor. Thinking back <laughs> on it later and sort of chuckling to myself. 
because I do remember going other counselors that have been there for a term or two sort of shaking their heads like, oh, who's this guy? He thinks he's going to change this and change that. But I think you learn pretty quickly once you get on that you do have to work as a board of seven. You've got to compromise, share your ideas, maybe try and convince others to do something a little differently. That's the beauty of it. That's talking about it earlier. That's what I really loved about it. Yeah. And going in with an open mind to listen to other people, right? Because I found the worst thing is to go in, you know, you couldn't look in an agenda item and walk into the meeting set on how you were going to vote on it. You really needed to listen to what the other opinions were at the table because, you know, I don't know everything. Nobody around the table knows everything. So the the best meetings I've enjoyed are where, you know, you kind of know where folks stand on certain issues. And then as conversation evolves and counselors are sharing their thoughts, you can see positions or thoughts change a little bit. And that's the beauty. That's how it's supposed to play out. That's democracy. That's democracy. Or maybe a public hearing or lots of delegations and people sharing their thoughts with counsel so you can see perspectives change as that evolves. That's that's beautiful to watch. I love that. Yeah. And that's the whole point. That's what it should be like. You got to go in with an open mind. You got to hear people out. Read everything that gets submitted, and that's where I always tell people if they want to affect some change, take the time to write a letter to council. And it doesn't have to be a long letter or a negative letter, it can just be constructive, respectful. Present your thoughts why you think something should be, or why council should consider this issue or that issue. I've seen, seen a lot of traction from a well crafted short letter go to council, yeah. you can make change that way. Heck of a lot better than posting on Facebook. <laughs> It's exactly it. And I found that too, you know, on school board, the same thing. You see every email, every letter that comes in and you do, you weigh them out and read them and yeah. and it's part of your decision making and your, your thought process. And when people have that emotional reaction to something and they don't like research it at all, they don't ask questions, yeah. they don't, I mean, Google's your friend now. Yeah, often the info is already available. It might take a little bit of effort to find it. Or a, a simple ask, maybe the info is available, you just don't know where to look. Yeah. Send an email in to council or staff asking. It's usually there. And usually calm down a bit before you craft those letters. <laughs> <laughs> I used to write one, wait a day, read it again, rewrite it. Yeah, always and then sleep send on it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Because <laughs> in the heat of the moment, woo. And not everyone's on Facebook, so... Questions won't always get answered by the right people on Facebook. Well, you know what? Facebook just goes crazy, too. Yeah. It's crazy. It reminds me of an exercise we did in drama in grade 12. Went up with people came. And it was the old, you know the one, where you're in a circle and somebody whispers something in somebody's ear. And it goes around the circle and then you get out to the end and it's like, my mom wears purple underwear. And when it gets out to the other side, it's, uh, my grandma's a pole dancer in (laughs) Yugoslavia. (laughs) It's lost its promise a little bit, social yeah. media. I'm not I'm not on it anymore. I had to let go of Facebook and Twitter. It was just so disappointing. I think it can be a bit of a lazy democracy to be on Facebook as opposed to you know, just reaching out and maybe advocating for something a little differently. There's no question there's a lot of value in Facebook too, but some of that negative side to it is just so disappointing. Yeah, I agree. And I waste a whole lot of my life on it, not going to lie. It's... It's Easy. addicting. Yeah. It's addicting and yeah, it's it's bad. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> I was gonna ask you how you'd describe your perfect day. Oh, a perfect day. What would be your perfect day? Okay, here's a perfect day. It's sunny out. Have a good cup of coffee. Lena and I grab our cup of coffee. We walk into the backyard, the garden. We've got a greenhouse now got beehives there i love just sitting and watching our bees with a cup of coffee in hand about this time of year when we're starting to plant stuff just watching it grow checking on the garden beds saying hi to the chickens grabbing a couple eggs out of the coop making fresh eggs for breakfast as well and really perfect day is hanging out in the backyard in the garden really and then uh, later morning taking the dog out for a good walk around Penticton Trails or Apasm Lake somewhere. So many great trails to go hang out and hike. And if it was a perfect day, okay, I guess it have to be a perfect day. 
So then later in the day would also be a mountain bike ride with the dog. I was wondering dog. when that was coming yeah. in. I love biking with the dog. It's just so cool. Dogs are just so cool. So my favorite part of a mountain bike ride is when we've been going for a little while, so the dog's a little bit tired, but then he's running, not in front of me anymore, waiting for <laughs> me at intersections, <laughs> guessing which way we're going to go, but running right beside me. And it's almost like he's got a big smile on his face. He just loves mountain biking and i just love biking with them so that's probably those are my those are my favorite moments lately is biking with the dog when he's right there right beside me nice yeah what kind of dog is he irish setter okay yeah and what's his name sasha sasha yeah nice yeah yeah it's a russian russian name gee where did that come from uh, it might have come from my wife yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh i love it <laughs> It's funny. My conversation with Isabel went to the dogs too. <laughs> oh yeah, she's written about the yeah, dogs. Her, her and her duck tollers. Yeah, that I keep wanting to call duck trollers because of fishing. <laughs> uh, All the time. Yeah, Sasha's just such a great dog. She's just such a people dog. Always happy. Well, most dogs are, I guess. I was going to ask you about BMAT. Yeah, it's um, so growing up in Saint Boniface. It's quite quite a large Métis community there. It's on my mom's side, and that's why there's a, you know, there's a Métis community here as well in Powell River, and part of who I am, obviously, and it's, I miss that part. So that's the other part of Manitoba that I miss was some of my ties with the Métis community there. So not long after I moved here, that was a fair ways after, I guess, there were other Métis in Powell River. And at one point, I remember one morning just reading an ad in the paper. Someone had put something in the paper saying, hey, if, if you're Métis, we're thinking about trying to get folks together just to chat and get together. I thought, this is great. Really? Yeah. And because um, I missed that part of my my heritage in Manitoba. And sure enough, just showed up at someone's house. And there was maybe a half dozen of us initially, folks I'd never met before, but we're all Métis, and then out of that stemmed forming an association and a local Métis group. And of course, as is the case with Métis everywhere, they were from everywhere <laughs> and found themselves here. I haven't been involved at kind of the organization level for quite a few years now, but still, you know, an active community. And my motivation then was to get together and share some culture and, and meet other Métis and share culture with them, but also to provide a safe place for some young kids and families that found themselves here, usually usually foster kids or, mm. or children in care that were from Métis communities up north or elsewhere that had a place they could feel welcome. So that was a big motivation for me for, for being involved too. You were raised strongly with the culture then. Yeah. On on my mom's side, you know, there's a lot of Métis in Manitoba, obviously. That's kind of the main, the, the largest population of Métis in the Métis homeland, as they call it. Hmm. So yeah, I miss that as well. But it was nice to find a little bit of it here in Powell River. Haven't been involved for a while, but I probably will again when... Hopefully it'll start getting active again with yeah, yeah. restrictions easing and... Everybody wants to party. <laughs> well, and you know, I've been so busy with work that I haven't just haven't had time for a lot of the social aspects and that my downtime is usually in the garden, like I was saying earlier with, right. with the bees and the chickens and a cup of coffee and with Sasha and the mountain Lena biking. out in the bush. Yeah. Hiking and biking. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'd like to get more active on the trails, but I always joke that if I'm in a bathroom and there's two doors... I'll be lost <laughs> the wrong door. <laughs> so, and I know we have good marked trails here, but people, some of us, don't have a clue what the markings mean. <laughs> it, you know, and they the markings could be a lot better, though. So, so there is, you know, we've got a couple good apps now that have the maps on them, and you could, you know, on your smartphone, if you have a smartphone, you could see where you are. You're always where the little blue dot is. Yeah. Um, but we could do a lot better with our signage, and there's folks working on that. Uh, you know, it'd be nice if you get to an intersection, you know which trail is which. Right? Yeah, yeah, because me, wrong door. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought it would be neat if we had guided tra trail tours here, especially during tourist season. I always right. thought it would be cool in the summer if 
I think of um, cruise ships and excursions that you can book. Yeah. But I feel like that's something that's kind of lacking in our communities. You can't just book a package to come from out of town and somebody actually takes you on the canoe route. Right. And shows you the portages and, you know, that kind of thing. Like, I feel like. There's so much opportunity for that here. Yeah. Definitely. You're right. And that's sort of those package uh, opportunities. Yeah. People look for that, right? Like they think, okay, I could book a room there and I I could do this all weekend. Remember talking to my nephew before he's an avid fisherman, fly, does, makes his own ties and everything. It's like, man, you could start a business taking people fly fishing. You could. Because they don't know where to go. They don't. And you know what? That's the kind of thing that say folks are coming to the upper sunshine coast for a weekend or a week. They want to log on and say, oh, look at this. This is great. These folks will bring me out for a mountain bike this day, and then we could go for a hike here, and we go canoeing, and then a kayak, and we go salmon fishing. Yeah. Um, so when I was involved with some of the tourism organizations there, that's one of the things we often talked about was trying to pull together those package tours. And there's there's a couple of folks starting to do that. There's a couple of companies that do. But you're right. If you can, there are people looking for those things where you can book those holidays and do all those activities. Yeah. We're not totally well set up for that here yet, but there's so much you could there do here. So it's much. just trying to pull everyone together to offer those packages and have those different companies and yeah. individuals work together to put the packages together, right? It's kind of, I think of it in the same way as, you know, us talking about a board and compromising and working together kind of thing. And I think so many businesses could do so well partnering with yeah. a business that's totally different yeah. from them. I just, I feel like it's a gap, but I thought about that myself. Like I'd love to be able to go on just, it's a group hike and one person who actually knows where the heck they're going yeah. <laughs> leads the hike. You know, and there's, Speaking of sort of that lost promise of Facebook, that that's some of the benefit of what's evolved with Facebook or some of the groups for things like that. Because I know there's hiking groups and right. biking groups and uh, actually there's all kinds of groups. <laughs> so there are those opportunities, but it's hard sometimes to make that first step, like reach out to that hiking group and find out, okay, when's their hike and just yep. join them for it, right? And, so I have heard those stories of folks doing that and reaching out and becoming familiar with whatever it may be yeah. through Facebook. So you know, it's not all hopeless on Facebook. <laughs> There's some promise there. <laughs> it has its uses. Yeah. <laughs> it is a pretty good networking tool. Um, I've been using it to promote the podcast. Although the problem is, is they've also changed their algorithms. So what I'm finding is I will post one thing. And I can see by people who interact with the post, maybe they've liked it or commented on it or something. I can see this array of people that have seen it. And then I'm finding a lot of the things I post with the podcast. And then I talk to somebody in real life and they'll say, oh, I I didn't see that. And I was like, oh, I posted it on my Facebook. They're like, oh, it didn't come up on my newsfeed. So you're finding that algorithm gap on depending where they get pushed on Facebook yeah. and on their networks and interests. Yeah, because you Maybe think, local, but won't even see. Yeah. 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 So I'm, you know, I'm looking and I'm thinking, man, there's people from the UK listening to my podcast and there's people down the street that don't even know it exists. <laughs> <laughs> I do miss that social networking, the positive aspects of Facebook. Right. You, know, the, you can still go on if you Google and look up groups, but you Obviously, you can't see everything in the comments. It's, if we didn't have all the negativity, that seems to find its way on there sometimes. Yeah. And I'm finding with the pandemic, it's gotten worse. You know, right. I almost collectively feel the population sinking. Yeah. People are frustrated. Yeah. People are tense. Some feel like they've been cooped up for too long. Some feel like they've had unjustified restrictions put on them. I, I get it. Yeah. We see it. At City Hall, I know the elected officials see it. Um, people are just on edge. They're tired. Everyone's tired. They want this. Well, I guess we're getting to near the end of it, so there's some light at the end of the tunnel. But Let's hope. <laughs> people are way more edgy and triggered than they ever have been, Yeah, for sure. So your job with this monstrous title, Chief Administrative <laughs> Officer. Yeah. CAO. CAO. What do you do? You know, in... Uh, in a nutshell, really, it's I'm responsible for implementing, operationalizing, I guess you could call it, council's 
strategic plan and visions and policies for the city. So the liaison between mayor and council and the city's staff. So I'm the one employee that council has, and then I'm responsible for all the staff at the city and making sure their direction is implemented. That's it in a nutshell, really. So there's no stress that comes along with that? None whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, I, um, I do still love it though. I had, I had someone just asked me recently, email today. Um, do you still love your job, Russ? (laughs) And I do most days I do because I still feel like I'm doing some good, good work. That's the important part. Well, it is. And because I still have a role in implementing vision for the community that council has and by extension, the community has, right? Because obviously the, you know, they're all there at the will of the community at large. So I can say with hundred percent certainty, that's why all the staff at the city are there. They share trying to do the best they can to implement what's best for the community at large. They're all community members too. That's the piece that's missed sometimes as well. I think, yeah, Um, you know, the, everyone at the city and council really does have the best interests of the community at large at heart and all the work they do day in, day out. And for sure, it's been trying for the last two years as it has for everybody through COVID, but really proud of this community. Really. I think we, we did okay through the pandemic doing the best we could for Colorado River. Yeah. Yeah. And the other role for me is really being kind of a point of contact for issues or situations that arise with the public. If uh, folks want to reach council, I'm also a liaison there for community groups and organizations, individuals as well. Do you have to, are you responsible for bargaining and all of that as well? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Along with other staff for sure. But yeah, that's, so I'm responsible for all the other city staff, including bargaining the two unions, IFF and QP. Right. So with the election coming up, this will be the first time you're actually in the other seat. It's got to be nerve wracking to go into an election because really in the end, it's like you're kind of the big boss in the city as far as employees go. The buck stops with you kind of thing. But your boss is city council. Correct. And then when an election happens, it's kind of a crapshoot yeah, <laughs> as a, to what that's going to look like could for be you. a total changeover. Right. Whole whole new slate of bosses, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. There's always anxiety. There's a joke that says CAO stands for career abruptly over. (laughs) So yeah, I I work for council, really, right? So council could change entirely and uh, they could have a different vision and perspective and want a different person in in that role, for sure. So there's a little bit of anxiety there, but at, at the same time, it doesn't change how I do my job because really my my view is a longer term one, you know, beyond yeah. the strategic plan. So the five year strategic plan, but really, you know, ten years out, twenty years out, what the vision is for the community, right? Per the official community plan and other policies that that we have in place. So it's nothing I would ever take personally if a new council had a different vision for who they wanted in my role yeah yeah i do think it it's kind of weird in a way where you you have this document that guides guides your work and and what you have to do and then all of a sudden if there's this pivot and it just totally completely changes on you it would be hard to adapt to that it it would be one thing i always i try and do a quarterly update for the strategic plan with council i did one recently at the last committee the whole and the items in the strategic plan you know maybe they're 10 or 20 percent of what staff works on the other 80 percent is really just the day-to-day operational stuff that has to happen right you know the water treatment the sewer treatment the roads transit service all those other things are so it's not just the items in the strategic plan that staff works on the bulk of it really is just the day-to-day operational stuff that everyone's come to expect and want for services right yeah so what could change you're right the strategic plan and some of those big pieces could change it could be a big shift but there's still a whole lot of other work that'll still happen regardless yeah that's right right. yeah yeah and that's why it's challenging sometimes to do those shifts or expect new projects or something to come on all of a sudden 
there's not a lot of wiggle room to take on more new projects when there's a whole lot of other things already in play. And that's what always worried me being in a government position on the school district is, of course, in a different boat where we just had funding dictated to us. We didn't have the ability to raise taxes or do anything like that. But when government would keep coming back and saying, we need you to cut admin, and you'd be losing all these senior time or roles. And I remember at the end for me, even leaving, I was so worried about how low staffed we were for those big roles. Like how much people just don't know how much time and, you know, things end up falling off because people just can't do everything by themselves. So, yeah, that is a concern I have. I think Powder is at an interesting place right now. We, we are growing, no question, a lot. Lots of people come in here. We went from, what was it, 13,200 to 13,800, 900 in five years. That's despite, for a while, the mill being the largest employer, going from 2,400 in the early 80s, I guess, down to, well, effectively, none now. <laughs> Zero, no, right? yeah. I think it was 250 just prior to that. Yet the population has stayed pretty constant and yeah. started increasing now. So I think there's going to be an expectation for more services, better services. We hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge will be... Where does it come from? Where does it come from? Meeting that expectation with the staffing we've got. At the same time, we are kind of an insular uh, regional district here. We've got one municipality, one regional district. We provide services not just for the 13,800 of us, but all 20,000, almost all 20,000, right? Yeah. So... We're unique in that sense. So there's a challenge with the taxation levels and being expected to provide all the services that everyone wants. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're just at an interesting stage where we're probably going to need to increase our capacity to deliver the same level of service for a larger population. And we're doing some great, uh, some large projects as well. No question. <laughs> Treatment plant is a huge one. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's a challenge. And there's some other large projects that we're probably going to be seeing soon with the airport and potentially a fire hall. Oh, the fire yeah. hall. Contentious topic. Yes. The fire hall. No shortage of contentious topics. There isn't. You know, I worked in that fire hall. I was a dispatcher, really young, youngest one that was brought in. So it's when Powell River switched from, they had an on-staff dispatcher Monday to Friday, and the firefighters would take turns covering evenings and the weekends, and then they switched. But I was 19 years old when I took the job, and I was definitely the youngest one. Um, But it was so interesting to me, I wanted to do it. So we trained with the deputy fire chief at the time, which was Dean Gerhardt. Wow. We just presented to you guys recently right, right. at council. But Dean did our training upstairs at the fire hall. But it was so stressful. And it was downstairs in that basement of that fire hall. And I'll tell you what, I never felt safe in that building. And that was in right. the 90s. That's going back a ways. Yeah. That was the late yeah. 90s I was there. It was intended to be a short-term yeah. uh, location. When you're there and all, because we had to stay up all night. So you're up all night doing your midnight till 8 a.m. shift you know it was a little a little yeah. sketchy back then so i'm i'm definitely all for getting a new building myself yeah i think most folks acknowledge we need a new new one so i think everyone gets the concern around can we afford it or not what's it going to cost yeah yeah and i get people not wanting a whole bunch of bells and whistles and and yeah. i get people being worried about the money yeah but i mean to say that we should wait or that I don't know. Hindsight's twenty twenty. You wait, and then a big earthquake comes. And I mean, the reality is, we're on our own here. If something happens, yeah. you know, just looking at all the flooding and everything, and big city centers, we're having trouble getting help. Yeah. Our river's going to be on our own. Oh, it goes back to the earlier comment about building for the next two, three decades, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So you've got a history with the fire hall. That's I've awesome. Got a history with the fire hall. What else? What else do you have for passions? Wow. Mountain biking, Sasha, Lena. Mountain biking, gardening. Definitely Lena and the kids. Absolutely. Traveling. I guess traveling is one. Where's the coolest place you've ever been? You know, I'd have to say that's probably the East Coast Trail in Newfoundland. Really? So we went there in the fall 
Uh, we did the West Coast Trail last summer, and then we were sort of joking there should be an East Coast Trail. Didn't know there was an East Coast Trail until <laughs> we Googled it. Sure enough, there is one in the Avalon Peninsula in Newfoundland. So we went there at the end of September, beginning of October, went hiking for 10 days. Wow. Yeah, it was fabulous. Newfoundlanders definitely as storytellers, as we all know, they are. They're super hospitable. They bring you into their place and feed you and share stories. And yeah, we loved it. Could you understand them, though? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, most of them. <laughs> Shane's dad's a newfie. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you can't tell by talking to him, but yeah. No. Yeah, we loved it. So yeah, that's another passion for sure. Just traveling and exploring new places. We did that a lot with the kids. Tried to bring them different places. Hence inspiring the love of environmental. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. We, um, you know, we went to St. Petersburg in Russia with the kids, which was a great city, lovely city. Went to Portugal and Spain with them. Wow. Yeah. Some road trips too in the States. Looking forward to more. That's been, you know, a bit more local in traveling the last couple of years. I don't know why. Why would that be? I don't, can't <laughs> put my finger on it. We've did some bike packing on the island, which was great. So that's a lot of fun. Just loading up what you need for camping on the bike and just head I would die. <laughs> <laughs> we could chat for hours, but I've taken up enough of your time. Thank you for joining me in the studio tonight, Russell. Thank you, Russell, for giving up some of your valuable downtime to join me for this episode. Join me next time for my conversation with Ian McDonald. Thanks for listening to Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information about the podcast, visit www.coastalcurrents.ca or follow us on Facebook at Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. If you'd like to submit a topic or join the conversation as a guest, email Aaron at coastalcurrentswithaaron at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.